Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Good morning, y'all. How y'all doing today? Awesome. Listen, if I've never had the opportunity to meet you, my name is Quentin. Uh, myself and my, my wife there, she'll wave her hand. We have the great privilege of serving here as the lead pastors at the Anchor Church. And so we are super pumped that all of you are here today. We hope you're having a great week. And I want to pray and just shift our hearts to God's word so that we'll be ready to receive it. Amen? Amen. So Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Lord, we are so grateful that it's your blood that cleanses our lives and changes our lives. And so, Lord, today we come with grateful hearts. And, Lord, we know that from the moment that we were born again, that's the only the beginning of the journey, that you have so much more for us. And, God, there's so many of us that are uh, in this room that we've been on the journey a while, but there's people in the room that are maybe thinking about starting that journey. So, Lord, wherever people are at today, I just simply ask that you would meet them where they're at, that you would speak directly to their hearts. God, you know us better than we know ourselves And so, Holy Spirit, thank you for coming and doing what you do best, and that's opening our eyes to see the truth. So, Lord, thank you for the anointing. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for life change happening in this place today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, we're going to continue our current series entitled Decisions. Again, uh, the inspiration for this series comes from one of my favorite books called The Traveler's Gift by Andy Andrews. And if you have maybe not been with us the past two weeks, let me quickly say that Andy originally wrote the book I'm referring to after he spent 10 years reading uh, somewhere between 200 to 300 biographies and autobiographies of highly influential people. And as he read those books, something, I guess, happened in his own heart that he wasn't expecting, and it was simply this, is that he began to see a clear pattern of just like seven principles that seemed to be woven into each of those individual life stories that he was reading, and not just principles, but principles that were helping people basically come from, from a life simply of nothing to be, uh, you know, extremely successful or influential people in this world. And so uh, at that time, you know, here's Andy as a young fella, uh, you know, basically life has been a disaster for him. And he decided at that point, like, what will happen if I implement these same seven principles into my life? Is there by chance that I can become successful like all those people I just read about? And if you Fast forward to Andy's story, obviously it's worked, that's why I wrote a book about it, that's why we're mentioning him today, and so, uh, but again, I want to say this, the question is, is why did it work? Like, like, why did those principles work for Andy? Why did they work for all those hundreds of people? Uh, again, the answer is pretty simple, it's because every principle we're going to talk about is rooted in the Bible. And so, on that note, if I can just show you something that Jesus said in John 13, he said this. He said, if you know these things, if you know these godly principles, you are blessed, happy, and favored by God if you put them into practice and faithfully do them. So it's not just about knowing these things, but it's about actually doing these things that will help your life be blessed and help you be successful in what God's called you to do. Because once again, if you do the word, the word works. Amen? So with that in mind, the basis of this series is completely built around this idea of what would happen in your life and my life if we were courageous enough, brave enough to apply these same proven principles into our life, if we put them into practice. 
uh, again, I believe that our lives would be uh, dramatically different if we would do so. So with that in mind, if you're taking notes, today is part three. And if I can, I want to remind you briefly what we talked about the first two weeks. In part one, we introduced and unpacked our first decision, which was this, is I will take responsibility for where I am in life. That I will take responsibility for where I'm at mentally, emotionally, physically, financially, relationally, and most important, spiritually. Now, the reason this is important, because if we can't take responsibility of where we've been and where we're currently at, how will we ever take responsibility for where we're going? And so at its core, this first decision that we talked about two weeks ago is really about reclaiming our ability to choose uh, the forward direction of our life rather than remaining trapped under the control of someone or something in our past. Now, in part two, we talked about our second decision, which was this, is that I will seek wisdom. The reason this one is important is because of this, is because if you and I want to admit it or not, our best thinking on our best day has got us where we're at. So if you and I want to keep growing, once again, as followers in Christ, we want to grow as husbands, as wives, we want to grow as parents, as friends, as leaders, employees, students, so on, fill in the blanks, right? If we want to keep growing, then the one thing is for sure is we are going to need more than our wisdom to get it done, right? So, and that brings us to today, because here's the the way I want to frame this up, is what happens after we start taking responsibility, and what happens after God begins to give us the wisdom we ask for, like what's the next step, that that's where our third decision comes into play. So to get us off and running, I, I want us to turn our attention to a, a very well-known character in the Bible who I think uh, is, is an incredible example of our third decision. Now, if I can let you know before we dive bomb into this, I'm about to read some large chunks of Scripture. And more than likely, a majority of you in the room uh, have read these portions of Scripture before. And, uh, and so I'm not necessarily reading it for you today, as much as I am, as I recognize that there's people in the room that are that are new in their journey with God, and maybe they haven't read it. And so, and even though I could just kind of mention these things, and most room go, yeah, shake your head, and you'd run with me, uh, there's people in here today that don't know what we're talking about. And so if you can, we're going to read it so they too can get the details. Amen? All right, so let's, let's begin 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. It says, now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul, and I have rejected and I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. Now fast forward, we know that Samuel showed up at Jesse's house. Samuel told him while he was there, and in response, in verse 10, here's what Jesse did. It says, Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is. He's over there keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes. Verse 12, so he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, with bright eyes, and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Verse 13 says, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Now, the following verses basically explain that even though David was anointing as the next king of Israel, Saul still sat on the throne. And so, 
uh, I want you to know that all that kind of began to shift. Or it's a favor in David's life began to shift when we moved down to chapter 17, starting in verse 1. Watch this. It says, The Philistines now mustered their army for battle. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with a valley between them. Then Goliath, the Philistine champion, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. Skip down to verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. It says, when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Now, what's crazy is this event that we just read about, it actually happened two times a day. It happened in the morning and it happened in the evening. So literally, this happened 40 days straight, which means the event that we just read played out over 80 times. Now, watch this. Since the armies were there for such a long period of time, one day David's father, Jesse, told him, hey, look, I want you to take a basket of food. Here's some bread. Here's some cheese. And I want you to go uh, take them to your three older brothers that are fighting for Saul. And so we read here in verse 20, it says that David arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. It says, soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. It says, David left his things with a keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath came out. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt, to the army of Israel, as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Now, after seeing this in verse 26, David asked the soldier standing by, who is this pagan Philistine anyway, that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Like, what gives that guy the right to talk about our God like that? And then it says in verse 31, it says, then David's question was reported to King Saul, so the king sent for him. Now, listen what David told him. He said, don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. There's not a chance. He says, you're only a boy and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. Get it, dude, right? It says, I have done this to both lions, notice the plural, lions and bears. And I'll do it again to this pagan Philistine. It says, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, man, go ahead. <laughs> he said, and may the Lord be with you, right? <laughs> Skip down to verse 41. Says Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. And David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. 
And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And then everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, I love this next part, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with a sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. It says, so David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. And watch this last part. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from his sheet. He took the enemy's weapons... And it says, and David used it to kill him and to cut off his head. Yeah. In the words of my friend David Guerrero, man, I, like when I read that, I just want to kick a tree, right? Like it's like, <laughs> like for real, if that, I think if that doesn't excite you, something, you're like, you're spiritually dead. Something's wrong, right? All right. So I know that was a lot, but um, with everything in mind that we just read, I, I, have, I have one question, and it's this is that when it comes to character, what is the biggest difference between this 15-year-old shepherd boy named David and King Saul and all of his thousands of warriors? Like, what was the difference between David and all of those people on that day? I personally believe the answer is pretty simple. It's this, is that David chose to be a person of action. You see, David had already proven through the bear and the lion that when he was faced with the choice of doing something or doing nothing, he would always act, right? So to him, it didn't matter if the king of Israel and all his men were paralyzed in fear. It didn't matter if, he had, if all those people had been wallowing in, in the pit of despair for 40 days. It didn't matter if this seasoned warrior was twice his size. It didn't matter if the king believed in him or not. It didn't matter if things looked impossible or not. Because David had already settled in his heart a long time ago that the type of person he would be would be the kind of guy that had enough courage to act on his conviction. Right? So when this occasion rose, he didn't run, right? He seized the moment by simply acting. All right, so if I could swing this back up to the top real quick to our original question. Like, what happens after you and I decide to take responsibility for our lives? And what happens after God starts giving us the wisdom that we ask for? Like, what's the next step? We got to choose to act. So simple, right? Listen, what's the point of taking ownership of our lives? And what's the point of asking for wisdom if we don't ever plan on doing anything with it? You see, I think David understood something that a lot of believers are forgetting today, and it's this is that God is a God of action. Therefore, the people who follow him should be people of action too. Right? So on that note, if you can, I want you to listen to these handful of verses. I wish I could read about 50 to you right now, but I'm only going to give you a handful. And I want you to see it through the lens of, of what we know versus what we do. Look at it, Matthew 7, verse 21. Jesus talking. He said, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Fast forward a couple of verses, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. Matthew 28, 19 is the great commission all of us. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Go to Luke 11. It says, and so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Let's go a little deeper. Romans 12. 
It says this, we have different gifts. According to the grace given to each of us, so let us use them. So whatever your gift is, so let them use them, right? If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy according to your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraged, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Galatians 6, 9 says this, So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Go down to 1 John chapter 3. It says, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Look at the last one, James 2, verse 14. It says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, and eat well. God bless you. But then you don't give that person any food or clothes. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Let me say it again. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds or good actions, it is dead and it is useless. So what's the point I'm getting at, church? Here it is. It's the gospel that most of us in this room readily say we believe in. Man, it's a gospel of action. So that means that that it must never be God's will for words like this. Inactivity, idleness, laziness, reluctant, passive, hesitant, timid, stuck, are indecisive, like it is not the will of God for any of those words to describe his people. This is why I wholeheartedly believe that Peter wrote these six powerful words in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Please hear them in your spirit today. It says, so prepare your minds for action. So prepare your mind for action. If I can just ask today, are you preparing, are you currently preparing your minds, your heart, your spirit for action, or are you just sitting idle? All right, so with all that said, let me give you our third decision. It's simply this, is we have to come to the point where we decide in our heart that, yes, that we're going to take responsibility for our lives. Yes, we're going to begin to seek wisdom. But lastly, man, we got to decide that I will be a person of action. All right, let's dig into this a little bit. If Peter told us to prepare our minds for action, then that must mean that that our ability to be a person of action, it must hinge on the way we think, right? Because we we all know that that what we think, we do, right? And and so by using David as our example, I want to quickly share with you five ways that I think a person of action thinks. I know there's many, but I'm going to give you five that I think relates to kind of where we're at today as a church. So these are things, if you will, in your head to go that set basically a person that's idle versus a person of actions, what sets them apart, right? It sets us apart from the crowd. Here we go. Number one, super simple, is in Jesus, we got to know that we are more than we realize. Like we have to think in our thoughts, we got to know, we got to be confident that in Jesus, we are more than we realize, So going all the way back to the first few verses we read about David, 
I don't think for a second that David knew why he was being called out of the field that day. Right? Like, in fact, I believe he was just as shocked as everyone else when the prophet Samuel anointed him to be the next king of Israel. After all, like, outside of God, who else thought that David was something more than just some little shepherd boy? So, so listen, even though uh, becoming a king may have not been on David's radar even up to that point, there's no doubt that he had to, at some point to settle in his mind that if that's what God had in store for his life, that he wasn't going to argue, he wasn't going to rebel, he wasn't going to run away from it. Instead, he was going to embrace the plan, and he was going to become who God says he was. He was going to come in agreement, yes? So likewise, listen, if we're going to become the person of action that God's called us to be, then we got to settle in our minds that more than likely in Jesus, right, that he sees us as more than we currently see ourselves right now. Now, here's the great part about this. This is why I love it. That's a personal journey with Jesus. Because only you know, really, only you know at this moment if you're living up to what God's already revealed to you. And I know in this room, in here at this moment, there's people, you keep brushing that to a side and you keep doing your own thing. Instead of going, nope, I've been called to something greater. Let me just say it how, I, how I'm hearing it. Let me tell you some of y'all's problems. I'm talking to more younger people right now, okay, by younger people 40 and under, okay? I'm over that, but it's all right. Listen, I'm going to tell you seriously, I didn't say this last service. I'm going to tell you the problem you keep running into. Your mama prayed too much because your mama spent hours on her face seeking Jesus. The favor of God's come upon you, and you keep trying to run away from that favor and that's why you keep bumping your head into walls and you keep doing stupid things that make you miserable, but you ignore them because you think those things bring you happiness. Listen to me, what you think brings you happiness in the long run will destroy you, so you need to listen and you need to do what Jesus tells you to do. It is not healthy, man of God, woman of God, to keep ignoring what you're sensing and hear just to do your own thing. The satisfaction of flesh for the moment, I can tell you from experience, isn't that great? Okay? So it would be better for you to obey, cut what you need to cut off, and move on. Amen. Let's move on. All right. All right. So let me say this. For you guys that maybe are like, okay, I don't know the more that God has for me to be. Once again, goes back to the personal side of Jesus. Only he can tell you. Right? So that means you got to pray, you got to read the Bible, and, and you got to just spend time with him. And the good news is if you do that, he'll show you. He'll show you your identity in him, and he'll show you your purpose in him. Amen? Amen. All right, second thing we need to know is this, is that the Spirit of the Lord is on us. See, for David, the Spirit of God rested on him after Samuel anointed him to be the next king of Israel. But for us, the Spirit of God didn't just come upon us. He came in us the moment we were born again, right? And listen, if we realize or not, that's the same Spirit that came upon every man and woman of God in the Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus included, according to Acts 10.38, right? So that's the same Spirit rests on them, rests on us today. And the same Spirit that empowered them empowers us to be person, uh, people of action, right? And so what I want us to see today, it's like, man, David has already proved to us on that battlefield that through the Holy Spirit, whatever we face, we have what it takes. 
Amen? So the third thing we need to settle is this. It's like David, we can't allow fear to paralyze us. We cannot allow fear to paralyze us. See, the word paralyzed means to bring it to a condition of helpless inactivity or to make ineffective or powerless. Let me say it again. To bring it to a condition of helpless inactivity or to make ineffective or powerless. So if we can remember what we just read, like it was the thought about facing Goliath that, that basically took King Saul and, uh, and his entire army basically running for the hills, running for their tents in fear. It was that thought. And to be more specific, the thought that froze them or paralyzed them, it was the fear of failure. Do you agree with that? So listen, on that note, let me ask you, like how many, how many of God's people, people who have the Holy Ghost in them today, right? How many people that are born again, basically that, that are in churches today are just so trapped in the in the basically the bondage of the fear of failure. Did that come out right? Like how many people do we think, not only in here today, but in other churches around, churches in the region, church and state, church like how many people do we think are trapped in the fear of failure this morning? That literally that that they can't make a decision, can't step out in faith, can't confront something that's out of order in their life or their family's life, that, that they can't they can't risk you know, fulfilling basically their dreams because they're paralyzed by the fear of failure. Like the thought process is if I step out and it doesn't work, what if I fail? What if it doesn't work? What if this blows up? What if that blows up? What will they say? What will they think? What's their opinion? What trash will they talk? Right? So there's two things I feel like I need to say along those lines today. The first one is this, is that failing is a part of this life. I've got to embrace it. We're all going to fail. Right? But it doesn't mean if you fail, you're a failure. Right? See, the, the only mistake that will ever make us a failure is one we refuse to get back up from. Right? And so I want you to, in that train of thought, listen to what Solomon said in Proverbs 24, 16. He said, for a righteous man or a righteous woman may fall. The word fall actually means to fail. What if they fail seven times? Like, what do they do? They get back up. So I repeat, listen, failing doesn't define us. Amen? So it's what we do after we fail that determines who we are. So when we fall flat on our face, let, let's not just lay there, right, in guilt and shame and condemnation, right? Like, let's get back up. Let's try it again. Let's not stay down. Let's choose to keep moving forward. So if, if I could say it this way, here's how Andy Andrews said it. He said, God didn't give us the ability to always make the right decision, but he did give us the ability to make decisions right. What does that mean? It means, like, in this room, you're still human. We are human. We're going to miss it. We're going to make mistakes. But the great part is this, is even though we don't have the ability to always nail it 100%, we, we have the ability that when we fail, we recognize it, and we repent to whoever we need to repent to, we get it right, or we go, you know what, I, I just missed a little bit there, I'm changing the course of direction, or I'm just going to try it again. We have the ability to make things right. Amen? There's this thing called grace. The second thing I need to mention is this, is that if you're in the room and, and you struggle with fear, man, the best antidote to fear that I can give you is this, is to remember that like David, God's always with us. He's always with us, right? 
That, that's how we can stand in confidence in the face of really impossible situations. And we can declare, like, like David said, you may come against me with your sword, with your spear, with your jab, whatever weapon the enemy is using at the moment, but we still come, whatever day it is, in the name of the Lord, right? So please hear me, guys. Our courage today, right? It can't rest on our talents, our abilities, our great personality, our bank account. It can't, it can't even rest on our, our past victories. Like our, our courage has to rest in the fact that God is in us, he's with us, and he's for us. That the Holy Spirit's with us, right? Yes. What's the Bible say in Romans 8, 31? If God be for us, who can be against us? The fourth thing we need to settle our minds like this is like David, we can't wait for someone else to do it. Church, please hear me on this. We cannot wait for someone else to do it. Like if you go back to the story, David could have easily run and hid in the tents just like everyone else on that day and nobody had thought anything less about him, right? Like, like he saw the same big ugly guy, right? And he heard the same nasty threats. So, so if he had tucked tail and ran, who'd have blamed him? But, but watch this, instead of causing him to, to, to flee from action, all of that stuff drew him into it, right? And I think because deep inside, like every person who has already set in their heart that they're going to be a person of action, David had this. David had the inability in his heart to do nothing. Like to do nothing wasn't an option, right? So remember what we said earlier. David had already proven that when he was faced with the choice of doing nothing or doing something, he would always do something by acting, right? See, I believe a person of action is this. Please hear me. I believe a person of action is the type of person who is crazy enough to believe that if there's people praying, that they just may be the answer to it. So rather than sitting back passively waiting on someone else to step up, like they willingly choose to be a part of the solution. Right? So, so it's like this. So often in church world, I hear people say, why me? Have you ever thought about changing that why me to the thought of why not me? See, see why me is this, oh, defeated, I got to go through this. Oh, why I got to deal with this? Oh. Why not me says, man, this is an opportunity to allow Jesus to show up. Let me make that really practical. Next time somebody says, hey, can you pray for me? Don't go, hey, I got a friend over here. He'll pray for you. That's an opportunity. Next time you're on the phone with somebody and they can't pay their light bill, instead of going, hey, if you call the church, and if you know that you have it in your own ability to help them, you help them. So often we deflect God moments and God opportunities to someone else instead of realizing that those opportunities are things we've been praying for. God, use me. Oh, there's the need. Let me show you somebody else. Jesus hasn't made you the middle man. He's made you the point man. Amen. All right. Fifth thing we need to settle is this. Last one. Here we go. Is that we don't always have to wait for God to speak. Please tune in here. Okay? That we don't always have to wait for God to speak. Here's what I mean by that. Only God knows how many times I have either read or thought about the story of David and Goliath. And I want you to know today, something that I've never found in all those verses we just read is a single word or a single sentence where God told him to go fight Goliath. And the other thing I've never seen in there is where David ran and hid in a tent and had to fast and pray for three weeks to hear from the Lord to see what direction God wanted him to take concerning Goliath. 
So, so we have to pull it back and go, okay, then, then if he didn't do that, then why did David step up the way he did? Again, the answer is super simple, because it was the right thing to do. It's that simple. It was the right thing to do. That big, ugly joker is coaching my God. Nobody else is stepping up. So I guess the right thing to do is to take his daggum head off. Right? Hallelujah. So think about it like this. And I want you to, to bring this off into your own story, your own journey with Jesus. Is because David was obedient to his father Jesse to deliver that basket of food, that bread and cheese to his brothers, what happened? Because he was obedient way back there. It provided him with an opportunity to do the right thing, to be a person of action, right? And so in the same way, it's like this. God's no different with us. As we are obedient to the Heavenly Father, as we just kind of go on our journey with Him, what happens is, is we'll find ourselves in moments and opportunities where we have the choice to do the right thing. But it's up to us. Does that make sense to y'all? I'm, I'm trying to show y'all that, that there are these amazing moments that are happening all the time, if we're just aware. And it doesn't have to look like lightning coming down from heaven. Yes, it can be a simple moment where we just go, oh, I need to do the right thing there, right? So, so think about this. I say this verse not as a way to uh, try to make anybody feel bad, but just in, in, in context. Think about what Romans says. It says, basically, if we know the right thing to do and don't do it, it's sin. Now, now, don't look at sin there maybe for a moment as you awful sin. No, no. Sin at its core means you miss the mark. So when we know the right thing to do and we don't do it, man, we miss the mark of what God has for us. Right? Amen. Here's what I found. Let me, let me see if I can make this maybe a little bit more on our doorstep here. Like, how many times when... When opportunities arise, have we seen people say this? Well, I'm waiting on God to show me what to do. Right? We've kind of been alluding to that. Here's what I have found, okay? If I can give you something prophetic today, here it is. Okay? It's this. is that in most cases, he's just waiting on you. Okay? If we are stuck like a merry-go-around and nothing's... There's no action. Nothing's happening in our lives. It's probably because God wants us just to do something. Right? So, so I just think this. It's like if we can recognize that he has already given us his word and he's given us a mind to comprehend it. He's given us his spirit, right, and the ability, the ability, the resources, the anointing to do most things that come our way. So how about rather than us blaming God for our inactivity, I'm waiting on God. No, that's, you're blaming him for your inactivity. So how about let, instead of us blaming him, right, how about let's just do this. Let's go, okay, um, like, let's just own it and go, the reason I'm not doing anything is because I don't want to do anything. I didn't help that person because I didn't want to help that person. I didn't pray because I didn't want to pray. I saw that they were sick, but I, I, didn't, want to, I didn't want to look foolish. What if it didn't work? I don't want to embarrass myself. I know I had an opportunity to tell them about Jesus right there, but I just didn't want to. I had somewhere to go. That's real. Yeah? So, so I think it's this. We want to be a person of action. It's simply this. It, it's, about, it's about walking through the door of opportunity. 
So, like, get out of your head. It's not about a certain age. It's not about a certain title. It's not about waiting for somebody in leadership to tap you on the shoulder, right? It's about being willing and available for the Lord's use. That's the kind of person God's looking for. And so, listen, if you want to be the follower of Christ he's called you to be, if you want to be the husband, the wife, the son, all those things we talked about, right? At the end of the day, just do what you know to do and trust God in the results. Amen. Can you stand to your feet? I want to end today like we've ended the last two weeks, and I'm going to ask you, can you just close your eyes? Now, the reason I'm asking you to close your eyes is not because I think there's something super spiritual about that. I just think it's you're sitting beside a really good-looking person that could distract you, and I just need you to focus on Jesus in your own heart for a moment. So close your eyes. I have to say, if you're married, I hope you were thinking about your spouse and not the other person beside you. All right. Whew, got that out there. All right, here we go. So please hear me. Becoming a person of action is not a process we grow into. It's a decision we make. Which means we don't have to wait for three years to get there. We can actually get there today. So, so with that in mind, I want to ask you to consider how different your life could be if you did a few things. So consider for a moment how different your life could be if you actually believe that God sees you as more than you see yourself right now. Consider how different your life would be if you believe that as his kid, his Holy Spirit and his anointing is resting on you. Like, can you imagine how different you would go about your life if you recognize that the power of God is backing me up? Now, consider how different your life would be if you stopped allowing fear to be the motivating factor in your decision-making process. Like, what would you do if fear wasn't an option? I think about how different your life could be if you stopped waiting for someone else to step up and you chose to do it instead. If I can just remind you in this moment, if you go all the way back to that story about King David, what happened in that story is, remember, all those people that kept hiding for 40 days, the moment that Goliath's head rolled on the ground, all of those people who had been hiding came running out of their tents with a war cry and they went and defeated the Philistines. And so, listen, there's people in this room, you keep waiting for other people to step up before you do what you know how to do. I'm telling you, if you step up, people will follow. Because people follow people of action. The last thing I want you to consider is this, is how different would your life be if you actually had the courage to just do the right thing? How different could your life be? Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you for the weight of this word. We thank you for the realization that we all have opportunities that we pass up. As we reflect on the things that have been preached today, we ask you, Lord, that you would show us, reveal to us the times that we could have stepped up and done something. Help us to become a people of action. 
Help us to understand that the only decision that we have to make is the one to follow you. And that after that, you provide the strength and you provide the boldness to do everything else. God, we just thank you that as you have planted this seed into our hearts, that we become a people of action, that we begin to seek out opportunities to be your hands and your feet. We just thank you for a peace that that settles over us as we begin to move into the things that you have called us to do, that you have strengthened us to do, that you have given us a boldness to do. And we just thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.